0: So the Olympics are upon us on NBC. You've been watching the Olympics at all? Do you get into that sort of thing? Yes, no? There's different different responses out there based on people's heads shaking different ways. Um, Do you have a favorite athlete, a favorite sport maybe? Um, I know for me uh, many moons ago I ran the 400 in high school so I, I tend to watch like how that just seconds every year they're knocking time off that and I just can't imagine running that any faster and Um, I've been watching swimming because that's kind of exciting. Um, But there may be one name that that you remember. I know this is a video that's been passed around on Facebook lately. A guy named Derek Redmond. Does that name sound familiar? Um, So Derek Redmond, back in 1992, uh, he was set to run the 400 in the Barcelona Olympics. And he had actually just placed um, first in his heat. So he had ran fast enough to be first in his heat. And he's moving into the semifinals of the 400. And about halfway through the race, about 200 meters in, he, he pulls up, he tears his hamstring. And the camera keeps following all the runners as he obviously falls way behind. You can see the grimace of pain on his, on his face, and he, he stumbles and kind of falls to the ground. But then the camera comes back, and what you see if you watch the video is that he's determined he's going to finish the race even though he, he can't even hardly walk because he's just got so much pain going on in his leg and there's probably all these other things, emotions going through his mind. And, and what happens is off screen, his dad runs in either from the crowd or from, from somewhere and there's people trying to stop him. These days you'd probably get shot by security, but in 92 it was still, I guess, okay. And, but there are people trying to stop him and he's shrugging them off and he runs over to his son and the dad and the son together finish the race. And it's this emotional moment, especially if you just Google the, the YouTube video, it's hard not to get emotional about what you see. And, and I, I even wonder, like, what's the emotion there? Is it this, this athlete, he's in the Olympics, he's, he's at the height of what he, what he wants to accomplish, his dream of being in the Olympics, and yet it, he's, he's now failed. He can't finish the race um, by getting a medal, so he's going to finish it anyway. Um, is it that emotion, or, or, or I even wonder, is it, is it the fact that his dad, there's something going on there where his dad from the stand saw that he's, he's helpless. His son is helpless to finish the race on his own. And he's harassed by this, by this torn hamstring. There's just no way he's going to finish the race. And so his dad comes to his, to his aid. And, and there's not a lot of conversation going on as you watch it between the dad and the son. They just both know what they're doing, that his dad is going to help him finish the race. And so I want you to, to remember and, and kind of think through that picture. As we walk through this today, we're going to look at Matthew 9. If you'll flip over there um, in your Bible or your cellular device, whatever you have, um, preferably uh, something that looks like a Bible. So we're going to read Matthew 9 and and just the passage 35 to 38. You ready? Ready? Lord, we want to gather before You this morning before the cross. We want You to speak, even as You already have, as we open Your Word, it's Your Word to us, but but actively speak into our hearts and lives this morning that we might hear You, the conviction You want to place in us that we want something greater than just what we see, what this temporary broken world gives us. We want You. We want You to... To give us abundant life and just pray that God, um, yeah, that through this passage this morning you would you would lean on us and help us to understand what it is you want to teach us. Is it a compassion that we 're lacking as we look at the crowds? Uh, God, speak this morning, In jesus name, amen all right so um, just walking through this passage, it it ends up being pretty simple. I'm going to make some observations about this. I'm going to try to tie some application to it and figure out what does this mean? What does it look like for us to really um, see the crowds as Jesus saw them? And the first thing you see there if you look down at the passage is that as Jesus is going, says He has compassion for them. And so um, the first point that I want to make is that when Jesus looked at the crowds, He saw them as harassed and helpless. And I... I just wonder, and I'm going to wonder this all morning out loud, um, is that my response when um, when I see people and they're hustling and bustling and they're in my way? Do I see them as harassed and helpless? Um, and then what does it cause me to do? So here's a couple of things it causes Christ to do. He, you don't even have to go outside of this passage, and, and we'll just kind of blitz through this, but um, just stay within Matthew 9 and look at, um, we'll just kind of glance down through here, let your eyes follow along. Uh, in verse 2, there's this uh, paralytic that gets brought to Jesus by these friends. And so what's Jesus do? Well, he does the obvious thing. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, can you imagine? That's kind of amazing because, first of all, for the people that brought the paralytic, they would be like, that's not really what we wanted. We wanted him to walk. And to the Pharisees who are standing around all the religious people, they're going crazy in their minds because Jesus can't do that. You can't forgive this man's sins, right? Only God can do that. So then Jesus, knowing everybody's hearts, He goes, okay, well, how about stand up, take your mat, and walk? And so He does that. So Jesus has compassion on this paralytic not only to heal His body, but to forgive His sins. And then look down at uh, around verse 22 there. Um, Here we have this man comes and Tells Jesus his daughter has died and wants Jesus to come. And so Jesus is on his way, and, and there's the picture of kind of this, it's a street, just kind of everybody's around Jesus. It's a it's a crowded situation, and, and Jesus is on his way somewhere. He's gonna go, and he's gonna heal this this little girl, or at least he's gonna show up and 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 relief the comfort maybe for for those that are that are hurt. And there's this lady that so rudely grabs the cloak of Jesus, right? And right in the middle of all this, um, She she reaches out and she grabs Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been grabbed in a crowd, but to me, I feel like there's a sense of, man, that would be annoying. I'm trying to get through this crowd, but Jesus doesn't feel that way. He turns to her, and here's what Jesus knows. He knows for 12 years, this lady has had this embarrassing uh, discharge of blood. She's, She's been unclean for 12 years, and so Jesus doesn't look at her as somebody in the crowd that's just trying to get something out of Him or trying to stop Him from getting to where He wants to go. Instead, He has compassion on her. And he looks down at her and he, and, he, and he allows her to be healed, but also he even speaks to her. He points her out in the crowd. Then he, to top it off, he ends up getting to um, the little girl's house. He goes inside and um, he, he tells her to stand up. She's dead. She's laying there. She's been dead. And, and yet he, he, ri- he raises her from the dead. And here's what he does. He does it in the context of people outside the house laughing at him. Laughing at him because he walked in and, 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 they, and he said, Hey, she's just asleep. I'm going to go wake her up and they're just they're just laughing they're making fun of Jesus and and he walks through the crowd there and heals this little girl raises her from the dead. If you if you keep looking uh, down at verse 33 just look at one more there's this man who's demon possessed and the result of that is that he's mute, all right? He can't speak. And so um Jesus heals him as well. And when he does this, it's Jesus pushing back the darkness and the, the evil. It's, it's Jesus recognizing that there's demons and there's spiritual forces, um, but yet they don't have a hold on Jesus. There's no, they don't bind Jesus. He, he, he's not outside of, of their control. And so what he does is he allows this man to speak, maybe for the first time, to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the good news. He, he takes um, this man's mouth and he opens it up. And so we know that Jesus has compassion on the crowds, and and the way He interacts with them, it causes us to take notice. And and here's the reason it causes us to take notice, because when Matthew is is recounting this, Matthew's coming back in and he's writing it through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's grouping together, we have them as chapters, they didn't write that way, but he's grouping together these these, um, memories of Jesus and how Jesus began to do this. He's trying to tell us something, isn't he? Matthew's using chapter 9 to speak to us, And to show us, here's how Jesus showed His compassion, and then He reveals to us in verse 35, and Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. And then verse 36, when He saw the crowds, well, who's the crowds? The crowds are all these people that Matthew has just told you about. It's all these episodes where Jesus has walked in and people of unbelief and people laughing at Him and people grabbing on Him and people saying, you can't forgive sins, and it's it's this mess where I would just say, "Then forget it. I'll go. I'll go somewhere else where people want me." And yet Jesus doesn't do that because He knows our broken hearts and and He looks down at these crowds. Whether He's maybe over this peak of a hill and this road, I, I don't know the context, but it says He's looking out over these crowds and He sees them as harassed and as helpless. He doesn't see them as getting in His way. He doesn't see them as as they have it all together. Um, Instead, he says, man, they're like sheep without a shepherd. It's like chaos. I'm going to step in. They need a Savior. And so we won't spend long on this one because I'll bring it back around, but it, but it's that question of like when, when you see people in your neighborhood or friends or family who waste their finances or who have different values than you do, how do you see them? Do you see them as under a false philosophy? Do you see them as lost, going after something they can't attain? Or do you see them as just... Um, unwise, foolish—that they're not good stewards. What about people that vote differently than you? Do you see them as like I'm not even going to have a conversation with them, and they're just morons, or or do you see them as man they're running after something, they're looking for a savior, but they think that maybe they can vote one in? Um, do you see them as blind? Do You see them as dead? Do you see them as chasing after worldly, temporary things, and they're in this caught in this this cycle of regret and shame and guilt? And it creates division in their own life. Is that how you see them? So let's continue to walk through this. We'll come back to that. Number two, I would say, is that Jesus recognized out of this compassion and, and out of the fact that He saw them as harassed and helpless, what's He recognized? Here's what He recognizes. That the harvest is plentiful in verse 37. But the laborers are few. So let's just use that for just a second. do not Don't move on from there. Is that... What he saw is is this harvest. And I I even wonder if... um, Now Jesus did what he does really well. What he he did for his disciples that he's speaking to is he made an illustration that is completely understood by them. And yet, we might sit in here and just kind of miss that a little bit because we're just not farmers, or at least nobody in here looks like they are. Um, I don't know if you grew up on a farm or know much about farming. I just don't. Um, And I think about the harvest, and it kind of gets lost in the translation, except that a couple of years ago... Um, I got to go to uh, Nicaragua. I've actually been several times, but there was this one time when um, we were going into this community, and so we fly into the main city in Managua, and you drive for two hours on pavement, and then you get off the pavement and drive for two more hours. And um, that part was kind of fun for me because I had rented this this Toyota Hilux, it's called, which we can't get in the U.S. because it's a small... Uh, engine diesel and it gets great gas mileage but um, those are they're awesome to drive stick shift and I've got about six Nicaraguans um, in the back and about six more in the you know cab and we're, we're driving through streams and we start going up this hill and anyway I'll keep talking about that but let me get to the main point the main point is we land at this guy's property and we're moving into this um, community because they don't have clean drinking water that's why we're there I forget if I even said that and so we're, we're kind of investigating what can we do here to bring clean drinking water and, and just sanitation to this community of um, several hundred families. And so we land at this guy's property. His name is Mercedes. And we find out he's, the, he's got the most property. He's going to house us for the night. We're going to sleep in his house, which is a dirt floor and kind of just wood slats up and a t- little tin roof. And um, the bathroom is, I think what they call it, is, is way over there. And... Um, And I'm just like, man, this is where we're going to stay. And they said, yes, Mercedes um, has a lot of property, uh, but he's not rich. And so we're kind of getting this translated. I said, what do you mean he has a lot of property and he's not rich? So I start meeting his family. It turns out he has six daughters. So the problem with Mercedes is that he he has all this land. He has some livestock. He actually had the only horse in the uh, community. There's no cars or transportation, but he had a horse, which is kind of a cool thing because whenever somebody needed something from town, he would get on his horse and go get it. Um, He would just bring back stuff right from town. Um, But the reason that he had no money is because the harvest for him was plentiful. He had all this land, he had all these crops, but the laborers were few. The, in that culture particularly, uh, his daughters are not going out and bringing in the harvest. So he has to hire out laborers. And the daughters are also not old enough to be married yet so that he could talk those husbands into coming to work in his fields. And so for the first time, it began to dawn on me. Like for him, he understands. If he were to read this, he'd go, yeah, I've been praying this forever. Like I look at my fields and the harvest is plentiful and I have to hire guys to come in because the laborers are too few. I don't have laborers in my own family to bring in the harvest. Therefore, he he has no money because he has a field and he has all this stuff, but he sends his money out so that harvesters or the laborers will come in. Does that make sense? And so, man, he reads this and he gets it. And I'm sure that the disciples did too, right? They're coming from this, this aggregarian culture where it's like he's talking about the harvest. We get it. We see fields all the time where they're missing like the the mark of getting everything in before everything dies, and the sun dries everything out because we need more laborers to bring this in. And so Jesus looks at the crowd. And he says, "You understand it in farming. Here's how I understand it in you know when I see people's souls when i see when I see them as they really are and, and spiritually dead, but yet they're a harvest. And there's so many of them that I want to bring to me, and yet there's just so few laborers. And where are the laborers? And so." This turns us to the the, the the next point. is just that He doesn't do exactly what I thought He would do. He does it later, but well, it's just kind of a foreshadow. But here's what He says in verse 38. Here's the result of all this. He says, therefore, right, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. That's a little different than I thought Jesus would do. I thought He was going to kick them in the butt and say, I've you know, been with you guys three years. Get out there and like labor for me. But instead, He turns to His disciples and He points them to the only thing that actually they can do, which they can pray to the Lord of the harvest that, that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into His field. Right? That's really what they have control over is just that they could go and pray. They don't have control over bringing in the harvest. They don't have control over raising up laborers. And yet we see here that Jesus points them to prayer to the Lord of the harvest, right? Um, We see this a lot, and you don't have to turn there, but you can write it down. Luke 5.16 says that Jesus often withdrew to pray. Um, It's interesting as you just walk through the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and try to kind of study... How did Jesus divide his time? Now we don't have everything there. I mean, there's no way you could compile everything. In fact, the end of the Gospel of John even tells us that, right? If I were to tell you, you write down all the things that Jesus said and did, all, all the books in the world, wouldn't contain them. So we get these glimpses. But what we see is that at times, Jesus walked through the crowds and he was, he was harassed, right? <laughs> By the crowds, and yet yeah, he was okay with that. But at other times, he pulled his disciples away. Sometimes he just got out in a boat with them so that nobody could swim after him fast enough, right? Um, And so he would just have his disciples, and he's like, let me just take this time to teach. And then there were other times when he pulled aside, and usually it was early morning or overnight, and he would pray just to himself. And it's interesting that Jesus prayed because it expresses his dependence on the Father. And without going into all that, that's something that I'm just like, really? That you had to be dependent on your Father? And and not only was it a model to us and a model to his disciples, but, but he chose to be dependent on his Father. He laid certain things down being fully God and fully man. And his prayer showed his dependence on his Father to act and to move in the world. And I think about that for us. is like, what, what stirs me? What, what motivates me in my heart? What moves me into action? Um, Jesus sees that the solution is that you walk through this... You, first, you, you look through the crowds and you see them... With compassion, you see them as hurt, and you see them as not in your way, but that they need a savior, and then that moves you into the idea of knowing that you can pray and, and that God might send out laborers. I think of a couple of things that this does. I know for me, it just frees me up. Um, I came out of a campus crusade for Christ background, so we're huge in sharing our faith and and then walking through um, the gospel with people, but. Um, you do that enough times and you can really feel like it's on you. <laughs> you can feel like, man, I'm, I sit next to somebody on a plane for two hours and I didn't tell them about Jesus and that's on me. Like, but yet Jesus never puts it on us. He, he points us to God and said, God, it's God that heals. Pray to God that He would send out laborers. And certainly there's a responsibility, but yet it doesn't, ultimately their salvation just doesn't lay on me. It frees me up of the guilt that I might place on myself. Um, it also frees me up of, of arrogance, self-righteousness. Frees me up of being worrying about failure, right? Of <clears throat> what if I say something wrong or what if what if I miscommunicate something here? I mean, it just it frees me up greatly. And I think the key is that <clears throat> if the Lord of the harvest is gonna send out laborers, then the Lord of the harvest is gonna go with those laborers. That he's that he's concerned about the harvest. In fact, he knows about it. He 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 reacted to it and and yet he just wants to send out laborers. He wants to multiply. It's, it's a little bit confusing, but Jesus never really intended to heal everyone in the town there. He never intended at that point to go to each person and bring them the gospel. For some reason, he intended to do it for three years and then multiply himself into disciples. And, and now 2,000 years later, he's still wanting to do the same thing. We know because he hasn't returned yet to make all things new. And so there's something that Jesus wants to do in us and something that Jesus wants to do in these laborers he sends out. Um, certainly he could snap his fingers and it would happen. He's just, he's just choosing not to do it that way. I, I think he wants his light to shine into dark places. He wants his glory to, to move into people's hearts and he wants us to be involved in that. He wants to send out laborers into the harvest. Um, another thing that, that I tend to ask myself is if I'm not praying what, what he's asking, if I don't see people this way and I'm not praying that, um, was there a time in my life that I did. Like, was there a moment where I was excited, and now that's kind of gone a little bit? And I think with with everything in our lives, we can kind of be seared, or we can kind of grow dim to what God has in store for us and the excitement of the abundant life He gives us. Here's an illustration that may or may not work for you, but I was um, uh, helping uh, Matt Hardy install, and actually a couple other guys install a um, an AC and. And because I think more highly of myself than I ought, I thought, I'll just pick up this AC and push it all the way up these ladders into the attic, because for some reason, we need to put ACs in attics. That's what the contractor thought years ago when he built the house. And it was a brand new AC, and so the uh, sheet metal just grabbed me right there and sliced me up. A couple of hours later, I went to the emergency room, right? And so in the emergency room, I'm about to get some stitches, and I hate that kind of stuff, but there's this girl, and she's hovering around the door. And the nurse says, hey, do you mind if my daughter watches while the doctor stitches you up? I'm like, I guess not. There's more people to talk to because I'm not looking down while he's doing that. And so I'm talking to her, and here's what the daughter says. She's like, yeah, in a couple years I'm wanting to go to nursing school, so my mom lets me come in here and watch this every now and then. And I was like, okay, how do you do with it? And she's like, well, this, is my, this will be my third time watching somebody get stitched up, and I'm kind of getting better at it. Like, it doesn't bother me anymore. And I thought, man, what a great illustration of my own heart that, that the longer I'm, I'm around um, lost people and the longer that I kind of just get numb to the fact that it's like, well, they're going to reject me or they're going to reject what I say. And my heart can get seared. And I kind of get used to just... It doesn't, it doesn't surprise me anymore, right? That, that I don't get amazed that people would come to Christ. And I don't get amazed that people would turn, to Christ, turn away from Christ. Like, I just, it's just kind of blah. Like, I kind of think about it some. I'm just not moved. I'm not stirred like I once was. And, and I just think, man... I don't want to be like that girl that looks at more and more people getting stitched up and just goes, ah, it's nothing. It's just a bunch of blood spewing everywhere, you know? I I want to look at that and and look like like Jesus looks at it and says, oh, my heart hurts. My heart hurts for people that don't know me. I look out at the harvest and I think, man, if we just had more laborers going, if we just had more people that were excited about sharing the good news, then the harvest would be brought in. And that's what I want to see each time. And so the the last point I want to make is just to kind of bring some personal application to our mission, particularly with Cross Point Coast and in your own life, and it is the way I worded it, that when we see the lost as Jesus saw them, it will move us to compassion. And compassion will move our hearts to pray to the Lord of the harvest. Another way to put it is, sometimes um, we, we might say that we move from our head to our hearts to our hands. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but it's just a way to kind of process it is that if you look at this, that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is, Jesus is moving the disciples from their head, like something they know, into their hearts, something that they, they need to get um, into their hands. Like what's the action? What, what, What should we be doing about what we believe? And so I believe that as we apply this truth, we do it in that order, and you sometimes get it out of order, but really that's that's what needs to process through and I think a lot of times when I was talking about my heart can just be seared towards or can kind of just normalize what I understand is it, what Jesus looked at is like man this is a it saddens me it stirs my heart that people wouldn't know me that people will be trapped in this this cycle of of chasing after things that they'll just never find that they're looking for a savior and in, in the wrong places and I think that just sits in my head sometimes and rarely moves to my heart and my hands outside of God's Word coming and stirring me and and brothers and sisters preaching the Gospel to me and what is true. And um, So Jesus wants us to understand, wants us to, to write these things down in our journal, to pray it, to speak it, that we might have compassion. It might move us to praying for others. I'm going to give you two examples. One's a good success story, so I'll start with that. I remember years ago I was... In Virginia Beach uh, for the summer, and I was—I um, was actually a student just out of my freshman year of college. God began w- without telling you, you know, all the different things. But um, I grew up in church and, and went to church, and that whole thing, and that was my lifestyle. But um, it was my first year of college that God began to stir me, and it was the first time I began to read the Bible on my own and began to really understand um, much of what's in there. And um, it certainly was the first time I began to share my faith. So I was on this like eight week summer project in Virginia Beach. And and that's what we were doing, learning how to share our faith, learning how to um, walk through that in a relational way with people. And if you know anything about Virginia Beach, a lot of military there. And so I'd I'd gotten to be buddies with some Navy guys and we played sand volleyball and stuff like that. And one night, and and I'd been praying for these guys all summer, you know, because they didn't, at least I didn't think, want to hear um, the good news that I had for them, right? Like they had their lives mapped out. They were going to go through the Navy, they were going to do all the things that, that immorality would would be encompassed by, And um, but I, I had fun with them, and I hung out with them, and one night they said, hey, come back out, it was pretty late, it was after the curfew that we had set for our project, and let's play some sand volleyball tonight, they turn on these lights down at, you know, this area of the beach, and so I was pretty um, good back then at jumping fences, and so I, I broke curfew and left and went down, and I was, uh, don't tell anybody that, um, And so I went down, I'm playing volleyball with these guys, and I I just kept stirring. I I took tracks with me, right? I was these gospel tracks and stuffed them in my pocket. I'm like, tonight's the night. And um, we get there, and there's a ton of guys and girls, and there's teams playing volleyball, and our team kind of shifted out. Um, And so we're sitting there right next to all this action going on late at night, and I was just like, there was this one guy that I kind of developed a relationship with. I was like, hey, anyway, I can just walk through something with you and get your opinion on this. It turns out that... um, that it stirs his heart to we the conversation continues to move into um, where we're our team is supposed to be back on the court and he 's like, no, "No, no guys, go ahead go ahead and i 'm like okay we 're going to sit right here and and everybody 's watching it 's so obvious what we 're doing, you know and i 'm worrying is is this guy embarrassed by this and I think Christ came into his life that night and he began to hear the gospel and it was just an amazing time as as we walked through that, he began to come to church with us the next few weeks while we were there and um, there's, there's more to that story, but I ran back just to- slowly, I was totally excited about what had happened because I'd been praying for this guy thinking it there was no way I could share with him because me and him saw the world differently and he had all this peer pressure in his life to, what are you doing sitting next to that guy? Um, and I believe that the Lord of the Harvest sent out a laborer that night and, and, and used me and, and brought in some harvest. Um, so that's a success story. Now, are all stories I could tell like that? So, so fast forward to this past Friday, years later, two days ago. Um, I don't know if you know, but I um, I bought a uh, pool business recently, and so I'm out cleaning and servicing pools as a as a side income job. And um, while well, we plant this church, and so I'm, i I like to think of myself as probably the only master's level educated uh, pool guy in Brevard County. So I feel like I got a lot, you know, to offer, which is nice. Um, but there's this one pool I go to, and um, they always complain. And I, I literally go there praying and hoping that they're just not there. But she was Friday, and as soon as I walked up, she just yelled, The pool is not clean! And um, she has an accent. And um, she's out there you know, smoking her cigarette and making business calls on the speakerphone. And, and she says something like this to me every week. And um, I'll be honest with you, there's, I was preparing this sermon <laughs> this week, but yet I was sitting there kind of like... I could strangle you right now or just walk because the money you're giving me is just not worth it. Um, And I had to figure out, does the gospel bear anything on this circumstance right now? Like, how do I see her? And I'll tell you how I see her. You ready for it? Because I'll just go ahead and be honest. I should be. I see her as it's a couple living in a forty five hundred square foot home with a, you know, a huge yard and this pool that has rock waterfalls and these big trees that I have to walk around and clean within their two-story, you know, screened-in uh, pool. I um, I look at her making these business calls, and my guess is she hires out people who are at the lowest, you know, who bid the lowest, and then she treats them like somebody that would bid the highest. She just kind of whips them, you know, until they, until they work hard enough for her. I know for a fact that each week I, I spend twice as long there as I should. In other words, I'm not really making that much money on it because I'm just spending too much time there. And I know for a fact that two weeks ago she said this, and so I said, hey, could you just stay with me after I clean this and just show me what it is I missed? And she walked inside anyway, and I knocked on the door, and she wouldn't come back out, and that happened two weeks ago. And and I know all this stuff is going on, and yet um, that's how I see her, right? And and I so want to... Well, I was reading this, and it's like, I want that to be true. I want to see her and her husband um, as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, if they are lost, I want to see them as lost. I want to see them as, yeah, they got all this stuff, but it's just not pleasing to them. They're so dissatisfied, and it comes out in even how they would talk and treat somebody that they rarely know. It's not a, hey, good morning, I want to show you something. It's a, I'm walking up, and she's just screaming, the pool's not clean. And I'm like, yeah, no, I just got here, <laughs> you know? And, um, and, and it's just a, it's a burden to, to feel that way. And I can tell you, it, did, it didn't happen Friday. Didn't share the gospel with her, and I didn't even do it indirectly with my mouth, (laughs) and I certainly didn't do it in my heart because I was just complaining in my heart, like Lord, man, I'm dripping sweat. It's 95 degrees at 8 a.m. in the morning, and I just want to get out of here and get to the next pool or to somebody that appreciates what I'm doing. Um, and I walked away going, I hope that she's not there any other time I go. Instead of Jesus, the way he treated people was, he said, you know what, I'm on my way here to heal or raise a dead girl and if somebody needs my attention, let me stop for a minute and give them my attention, forgive their sins, heal them, and then continue on to where I'm going because it's the Lord of the harvest that's in control of all that stuff. The harvest is plentiful, but I'm in no rush to get anywhere because I can be in the now and I can I can be right here and, and, and I can have my identity as the child of the king. And she doesn't know she's screaming at the child of the king. She doesn't know that's my identity and that's my value. But but when she screams at me, it makes me feel like just the pool boy, right? And and then my identity and my value get wrapped up in that. And I and I get in my own cycle of forgetting that there's just something greater, that there's this abundant life that she's just missing. And, and I could actually tell her or I could pray, Lord, send somebody into her life that would be honest with her and tell her the truth, not because of the way that she would treat me better, but just because I can see it in how they live that they're chasing after something that will end badly for them. There'll be no satisfaction. There's, there's there's, nothing in the world that's going to give them hope and joy and peace and patience. And yet, I'm struggling with my own humanity, my own comfort, my own selfishness in that moment because I just want to leave. I just want to get out of there. Can you relate to that at all? Maybe I'm just probably the only one that does that. But, um, you know, I think, how, how do I turn this... And move this even towards our congregation like I don't think anybody here is going to clean this lady's pool um so so what does this mean for you what was what the harvest um so I wrote down a few things that'll probably make you either feel uncomfortable or just mad but you know I thought what if when you come in on a Sunday here here to this congregation what if you look for new people that you've never met and sat next to them instead of looking for the open area that nobody's in, and you could sit there, right? Um, I know it's pretty easy to do. It's like, where's the open chairs? So we don't have to sit next to anybody and rub shoulders. But what if your intentionality was, man, maybe there's somebody here harassed and helpless. Maybe there's somebody here that, that's like sheep without a shepherd. They're, they're living this lifestyle, and nobody's going to know it because they're just going to come in here, and then they're going to leave. And you're not going to talk to them probably ever again. But there could be a moment to where God wants to place you in... Um, an uncomfortable setting. In other words, sit next to somebody you don't know and say, hey, how are you doing? And, you know, begin a conversation. Maybe you go to lunch with them afterwards. Maybe you call them during the week. Maybe you invite them to community group. But that's too uncomfortable. I know that. But but maybe that's what it means. Maybe Maybe it's part of God causing us to have compassion on others is just to be around other people. I mean, I, I got to say this whole culture that and i don 't see it rampant here, but just the church culture in America that wants to kind of pull in and kind of just not be part of the world and kind of just pull away from the world because if if i 'm in the world, my kids might be part of that and and it, i don 't want my kids to be exposed to that, and i don 't want to be part of that, but yet my question is then how what is the crowd that you look at? then how do you see people as haraassed and helpless if if my whole life is here right it 's just so dangerous. And it's, it's a protection, and, and there's something about that, right, that we're called to, to raise up our families. But what if we pull ourselves away from the world so much that I'm not even going to vote? Like, I'm not even going to do that. We're not even, I'm not even going to be part of the culture. Well, okay, then, then how do you see the crowd as harassed and helpless? How do you ever gain the compassion to say, hey, Lord, man, send laborers into the harvest? You, you would not know. You would never know what the world needs if you're just not at all engaged with them and, and hoping that there's some redemption that you can be part of in the world. I, I, just, I just don't know how you're going to do that. I don't know how I'm going to do it. What if your prayer time was, was much more for God's heart than your own needs? You ever, you ever do that? You ever kind of get into prayer time and maybe you probably have good intentions and then either something happens or something catches your attention so then you just start, and start praying and I hope that today goes well and start kind of just thinking through your to-do list I've ended so many times of prayer in forgetting that I was praying and like going to the computer and typing an email because I remembered when I was praying. It's like oh, all this stuff I had to do. Like prayer drove me to go type an email instead of driving me to my knees and saying, "Lord, here's what I want prayer to do this morning. I want prayer to make me ask you to send out laborers in the harvest." And yet my prayer life just doesn't look that way because my heart just is not engaged. It's just not. It just doesn't have compassion for the people that needs to. It's not like. Jesus. And there's a conviction there that, that, again, can just sit right here. You can leave today and it can all sit here and, and it can happen each week and each, and each day. It's, it certainly does in mine. Um, my hope is that there's something better, that there's something better that will drive it down to your heart and drive it out to your hands, that there's, that there's just there's something more compelling than what's on your to-do list today. There's something more compelling than um, the burdens and the weights that you bring in um, that you look at others and say, I've got my own burdens. I've got my own weight in my life. I, I don't know how I'm going to accomplish this, this, and this. And yet there's something more that pushes you to say, you know what? I don't care about that stuff. I'm going to step into people's lives. And I'm going to find out what is, what, is it, what are their burdens? What are the ways that I can have compassion on them? I just want to know, not because I can even do anything about it, but I just want to know to stir my own heart so that, so that I can pray that the Lord of the harvest might send out laborers. What is it that the cross does in your life to make your heart tender? How might the gospel help us understand in a way that it doesn't default into work salvation, right? To, like, the, like we don't hear the gospel and go, okay, I'm supposed to go do this, this, and this, and that way I'll be able to just get the preacher off my back because he keeps saying I should go do this, this, and this, right? What I want us to do today is just, is just simply look at this text together, right? That, that it's Jesus who was... Teaching It's Jesus who was going through the villages and the synagogues. It's Jesus proclaiming the gospel. It's Jesus healing every disease and every affliction. I'm not going to be Jesus. I'm not even going to play His role. But but does that does that compel me at all to say, oh, Jesus, You're the one that came to me and you, you healed me. Like, You saw me as harassed and helpless. I didn't have it all together either. And so when I see other people as harassed and helpless, I need to see myself first. <laughs> like, I need to, to see that... I'm not the disciple walking with Jesus. I'm not Jesus. I'm the I'm the guy that's harassed and helpless. I'm like a sheep without a shepherd. First, and Jesus, that amazes me that you would come to me and you would change my life and you would save me and you would you would allow me to come before the cross in confidence that I'm a child of the King now that you've given me new life and that through that it's it's man now I can live in a generous way. It's through, it's now I can I can have gratitude in my own life and, and so then when somebody comes to me and says the pool is not clean I can say man I'll clean your pool but I want to love you while I do it <laughs> you know I don't want to hate you and so we just came off this sermon series of the fruit of the spirit and we learned that our, all of our actions either come out of the flesh or come out of the spirit and one of the main things that we talked about each week for what was that nine weeks I don't remember how many weeks it was more than two um, was that you know, there's a difference between me going, okay, I want to love, I want to love, I want to have joy, I want to have joy, I want to have patience. It's no, it's, it's not something we can produce out of our flesh. It's something that the Spirit of God has to do. And so one of the main applications of that is, Lord, how do I pray in a way that You would produce love, You would produce joy, You would produce patience, You would produce the fruit of the Spirit in me. Lord, do that over and over. And that's all I'm saying to this this morning is, Lord, have, have a prayer that, Lord, create this compassion in me because I don't have it. I mean, I go to work and all I want to do is come home and not be bothered. I don't want to go to community group because then there are going to be more people there that are going to bother me, and <laughs> I'm done with people for the day. And yet, I can tell you, if I were to point people out in here, that like God is transforming lives, and, and the way He's doing it is I'm watching you guys who, are not, who don't necessarily like to be around people. You're, you're around people for the sake of the gospel. You're, you're going after people who are not like you, and you're, you're inviting them into your homes, and you're inviting them into your lives. Like I, I could tell testimony after testimony for you, you're doing it. You're pointing to pe- people to something that's much better. But here's one. If we begin to pray that the Lord of the Harvest would send out laborers, what do you think that might mean? What if our kids are those laborers? And working with um, college students for most of my life, my biggest opponent, you know who it was to send out laborers? Parents. I, I would want to take kids to Slovakia with me for the summer or somewhere else, And it was their parents that said hey no no they need to be home this summer you know the grandmother's not feeling good we just you know they need to be around and it was they always had an excuse for why their kids couldn't go be the laborers in the in the harvest and they're christian parents (laughs) and i was like i got four boys am i going to feel that way when i'm at that age where they could go out because right now i don't i want to pray like lord yeah Let my my boys grow up to know you and be laborers in the harvest. Let them go die for the gospel if that's what you call them to. But I wonder if in 10 years, ask me again then, like when they're actually able to go, because right now that's not realistic. Like how will I feel? Will I let them go? And so would we let our own kids go? Would we let ourselves go? Who's going to go? Who are these laborers going to be? Are we just going to pray like ambiguously that God might send people out? Or are we going to know the names? Or are we maybe going to be those people like will God send out church planters from this congregation to go and plant in places that won't make sense to plant will he send out community group leaders where we need community group leaders to launch a community group and reach their 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 neighborhood and be on mission I mean what will God do is we begin to pray that and I guarantee you that's one of the reasons we I don't pray it it's a guy told me a long time ago I don't pray for humility because then you know God might make me humble and I don't want to go through that. Right. And so there's certain things you just don't pray because you don't want you actually don't want that to happen. And yet Jesus is like, there's something bigger going on here. It's it's bigger than your own comfort. It's bigger than your own life of of just living it how you've designed it and called it out to be. Like this is how my life's gonna be. I might totally change your direction. I might totally change your life. I might send you out. I might ask you to give money to send somebody else out. I might ask you to get on your knees with me, and look at the harvest and say, man, how will it ever be brought in? It's too few of the laborers. I've got all daughters and no sons, right? Like that guy. Like Who's going to bring in this harvest? Not many are willing to go. Not many are willing to suffer. Not many are willing to lay down their lives and labor all day long. That's the assumption. When there's not many laborers in the harvest, that's the assumption, right? Um, it's, it's not directly there, but I guarantee you Jesus had it on His mind when he's speaking it. And in fact, Verse or well, it's verse one in chapter ten. We see that God or Jesus then sends out the disciples two by two. So he kind of was getting them ready for that. You know that's coming. Um, in fact, let's just do it. Let's go extra innings here. Look at uh, chapter ten. This is uh, this is something that is a great pep talk. Look at verse sixteen in chapter ten. Are you with me? Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Okay, so already it's kind of like oh, just you know, you're swinging for the fence there, like you're really getting me going, you're sending me out of sheep among the wolves, I'm done at that point. And so here Jesus says, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in the synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you should speak or what you should say, for... What you're to say will be given to you in that hour, and then it goes on and on. But I just look at that and I'm like, no wonder there's too few laborers. You're not even selling a good product here. Like we're going out as sheep among wolves. That's something you tell people when they get back. Like, oh yeah, I meant to tell you, there's gonna be wolves. Uh, you got no claws, no teeth. You're just kind of a fat little fluffy guy. I mean, that's don't do that. So what does that mean in Brevard County? Let's shrink it down, like the whole world. That's too big. What does it mean that we would pray that laborers would go out in Brevard County? I mean, that's it's not fun to think about going to your employees and telling them that you love Jesus. That's not fun, right? It's not fun to pray for the people that you hate at work because of the way they treat you, their lifestyle. Like you can't even imagine like the gross things they do at home, like. It's not fun to pray for them, is it? And yet Jesus says, man, those are the lost people. Those are the people that are harassed and helpless, and those are the people I have compassion on. And I'm praying for them. I'm going after them. I'm changing their hearts. Come with me. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would do this, would leverage our time, talent, and treasure and send out laborers, right? That God would would so stir us that we would would take our resources and say, I was going to use it, to buy all this stuff, but I'm going to use it for the harvest. Would take all of our time, and I was going to use my time this way, but I'm just going to give it to a laborer going into the harvest. It would even take us, right, and send us out. Um, over the next few weeks, and particularly next week, we'll have our what we call Vision Sunday uh, every year, but um, Jeremiah will preach in the morning, and then Sunday night next week, we're going to have a um, invite all partners to um, to a time together, and even if you're not a partner, you're welcome to come, but we're just going to talk through in about an hour, hour and a half, talk through what what do we feel like God's calling us to? What's the budget, you know, what's the, what's the manpower, what's it look like over this course of this next year? We're just going to talk through that next week. And so part of my um, approach this morning is to, to kind of get us ready to be thinking through what does it look like to plant the gospel in Brevard County? Does it just mean this right here? Is this what it looks like so we've kind of checked it off and it looks good? Or does it mean we're a church that plants other churches? And planting other churches is difficult too because means we've developed something really well and now we're going to send people out and it's probably the best and brightest. And like, that's not good. Like, that impacts us. And so what does that mean to have the heart of God that says, no, 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 we don't hold up. We don't get together and just all enjoy each other's presence, although that's a great thing. We, we're we constantly in sacrifice of sending people, constantly praying that the Lord would send out laborers. And yet, if you pray that, then He might call you and He might call your child and He might call the guy that you like the girl that you like in community group that you want to sit next to is like, man, they're going to go to another community group and launch another one? That's no fun for me. Who am I going to talk to now, right? I mean, it just sounds so light in sacrifice, and yet I know these are the things that our hearts struggle with. Let me pray for us right now and just, and just pray that, that Jesus would make Himself better to us than all those things that get in the way, that, that Jesus would reveal Himself and how good He is in the things that we tend to struggle in. Lord, I just want to close this morning and asking you to remind us how how good is our salvation? What did you save us from? Where could we be right now without you? What does the cross mean? What is it what does it bear on us? What, does, it, does it bring any sacrifice, any any action to bear on our lives? Lord, reveal that to us this morning. And show us and remind us through Your Word. I don't know where else we'd go besides Your Word. Remind us of how You walk through these villages and communities being God, not needing to be there and suffer as a physical man, but exhausting Himself to heal, to teach, and to proclaim, and to die on a cross. Too much has been given. There's a cost that's been paid. There's too much that's been given for us to just sit and not be moved and to compassion for people who don't know you. To somehow sit in our living rooms and to think once a week, if we just go to church, then we're somehow fulfilling this abundant life. And God, it's just it's too minor. Stir our hearts to think that there's, there's more than, than that. There's, there's people who need to come to know you. There's, there's the elect out there that you're going to wake up you want to use us to do that. and God, begin to do that in our hearts this morning. Begin to do that through our, our Crosspoint community here. Raise up laborers out of our congregation that would go and cause us to pray for more. Jesus, break our hearts for the lost. Those that we can't stand. People that on our own... we. Wouldn't be around. We wouldn't chase after them, certainly. Cause us to be a community that has your heart, looks at people through your eyes. Give us a new lens today to see others. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.